Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. The title of this evening's message is The Good Life. The Good Life. And we'll read together from 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. First Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil." May God bless the reading of his word. We've come to the end of Peter's specific instruction um, that he has given over the last several verses, beginning in sort of the middle of chapter 2 and now into the middle section of chapter 3. The specific instructions that he's been giving on submitting to God-ordained authority, um, directed to... Um, citizens, to servants, to husbands, to wives. And he now, in a sense, as we approach this text, opens it up to everyone, to all those whom he is writing to, not just applying it specifically to individuals uh, and their lives, but to all believers. When he uses these words, finally be ye all, or all of you. And the subject of today's text really, I think, summarizes well, in many ways, the main message or the main theme of the book or the letter of First Peter. And it's simply this, as it is an exhortation to these believers here in Asia Minor to pursue righteousness and to live holy lives in the midst of opposition, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution and difficulty— and to show to them, to encourage them to be, truly be, God's new covenant people. And as we come to our text, Peter is essentially reminding or affirming this truth, that just as God's favor and blessing was upon his covenant people in the Old Testament, namely the Jews, his chosen people, God's favor and blessing still resides over those who are his children today. Those within the new covenant, these believers, those who are turning away from evil, as he says, and pursuing righteousness. And that's really the main point that Peter is trying to get across here in this text, that God's favor and blessing still resides over those who are his children, not just those who are in the Old Testament, but today for these believers here and now, it is for them just as much as it was for those in the Old Testament. 
And Peter doesn't um, want them, I think he, he brings this up because he doesn't want them to become discouraged with the circumstances that they find themselves in. Remember, they are in a position where they are in persecution. They're suffering. They're going through a lot of difficulties and trials. And it's hard for them, especially being secluded in that northern um, province of Asia Minor. They're in a situation where they can easily become discouraged in their faith. And Peter wants to encourage them and remind them that God has not forgotten about them. God has not abandoned them. Just because they are separated and away, he is still with them. And he is still blessing them, perhaps in a greater way than they really understood, just by looking at the circumstances around them. And there is more than one way to, I think, take this principle, this understanding that God's favor and blessing resides over his children. He blesses them, those who faithfully follow him and pursue after righteousness, those who live holy lives. There's more than one way to um, misunderstand or twist this and to make it say something that it really doesn't say, especially when we come to these words that we read here in verse 10, where it says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him... And then it goes on to describe how that will take place. But this this phrase, he that will love life and see good days. And I remember reading this and not really understanding what, what does that mean, that he will that will love life and see good days. Like what what is exactly is he saying here? It's kind of this catchy phrase that that sort of catches our attention. First of all, um, this particular um, phrase here, actually from verses 10 through 12, is a quote from Psalm 34. So these are actually not the words that Peter is giving, but he's he is quoting David in Psalm 34, and I'll explain in a moment um, a little bit more about this quote and how it sort of reinforces this main point that he is trying to get across. But when you read this, just reading those words in sort of their plain language, it almost gives the sense... Um, or can very easily be taken in the wrong way, especially by those who are only concerned about this life here and now, this temporal life, about just being happy, being successful, you know, taking this, what it says, loving life and seeing good days. And you can almost sort of reduce it down to a formula where it's, you know, if you do this, whatever that might be, then you will get this. You know, if you just do what's good, God's going to bless you and you're going to have a good life. That's sort of the most simple base way of taking this and how I think many people can take this and sort of misapply it, not really understanding and, and sort of applying in their own mind what this definition of the good life is or to love life and to see good days. And to be honest, it sounds attractive, right? It really does sound attractive when you think about it. You know what? You know who doesn't want to love life? You know who would, doesn't want to see good days? All of us want to have a good day. None of us would wake up in the morning and say, well, "I just I hope this is a crummy day." No, we want our days to go as well as they possibly can. That's a very natural thing. Everybody wants to have a good life and to see good days. But what is Peter talking about here when he says that? He will love life and see good days. And I think it's good to just consider some of the definitions of that. Because there are different definitions out there of what it means to have a good life. What is the good life? 
The first one is the worldly good life. I'll call it the worldly good life. And for many in this world, and I would say perhaps most in this world, the good life is simply about chasing things. Money, um, success, relationships, pleasures, ease. You know, here in the Western world, it's sort of the American dream. You know, that's the good life. And really, it's a formula of whatever you want to make up that good life. Whatever, you know, pursuits you have, whatever interests you, whatever catches your attention, whatever makes you feel good, whatever gives you that rush, whatever it might be, all of these things combined together make up the good life. And it's amazing to see how despite so many's relentless pursuit of the good life, as it were, so many people in this world, especially in the Western world where we have so much, are so unsatisfied. There's so many unsatisfied people in this world, and they so often come up short. And I can't help but think of Solomon. You know, we read in Ecclesiastes this experience or this um he, he recounts his experience of how he sort of went about pursuing fulfillment in his life and <clears throat> pursuing that, that good life. And really, it drove him to the point of indulging in pretty much everything imaginable under the sun. And he was in a unique circumstance because he had the ability to do that. Solomon had great riches. He had pretty much everything at his disposal. And we see that after he went through that experience, and if you read through Ecclesiastes, you can see everything that he indulged himself in, in pursuit of um, the good life, we might call it, in pursuit of satisfaction. And at the end of it all, in Ecclesiastes 2.7, he says, Therefore I hated life, because the work that was wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon tried this formula. He tried the formula that the world has of the good life, and it left him empty. It left him unfulfilled. He said, all is vanity and vexation of spirit, and it drove him to a point where he said, I hated my life. So that's, I think, the world's, perhaps the world's definition of the good life. I think there's another definition of the good life, um, that is a misunderstanding, and I'll call it the Christian good life. Maybe the blessed good life, to be blessed, as we might call it. And this might hit home a little bit more for most of us who, I think, understand the world's pursuit of the good life and, you know, the emptiness that it brings. We, we see that pretty clearly. But let's take it into our setting now and consider the Christian good life, the blessed life. And I, I think... At the start, it it includes none of the excesses that the world goes to, because we understand as Christians that we should live in in moderation. We understand that principle. Um, But maybe it's everything being just right. A good family, good relationships, a good church, a good house, a good job, good finances, good health, good retirement. Everything just right. And this, I think, really hits home a lot more for me when I consider that, for me, oftentimes, the blessed life or the good life is the blessings of the Lord that I point to. And there is a truth to that. There's definitely a truth that living according to God's principles brings blessings into our lives. And the reality is that most of us, most of you who are here, 
in this place tonight and who come to this church on a regular basis, we all have a pretty good life. Even when you compare it to those in society, just by living according to God's principles, we have blessings. You know, if you don't cheat, then you're going to do well in life. You know, if you cheat people, you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be cheated yourself. If you lie, if you, um, you know, indulge in drugs or other things to bring pleasure, there's, there's consequences that come with that. But by following God's principles, there are blessings that come in our lives. But even in the midst of that, I would ask the question, is that what Peter's talking about here? Is that really what it means to be blessed by God? I consider that in the light of what Jesus said in Matthew 5. And these words um, hit me hard when I really consider them in the light of the text of Scripture that we have in front of us. Matthew 5, we know this well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who suffer persecution for righteousness sake. These words of Christ really cause me and should cause all of us to examine our lives and consider what our definition is of the good life, of what it truly means to be blessed. And again, I don't want to discount the blessings that God gives to his children. He gives, I I, I always point to the blessings that I have in my life is from God, and we should acknowledge those things from God. But is that my definition of the blessings of God, of, of that good life? Does that what it means to be truly blessed? How does that match up to what Christ said and to what the scriptures say? Because I think the reality is that for most, this list that we read about here in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes as we call them, resembles nothing of what most would consider the good life. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. Yet that is what these believers were going through. And as we examine our text here this evening, um, Peter, I think, really highlights for us, and, and we'll dig into this in a moment, but Peter really highlights for us what that blessed life really is and how we can experience it. And I think those, or those are the, 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 the two main points that we see that we can draw out of this text as it answers these two questions. What does it mean to truly be blessed and how can we experience that blessing? So let's take this now in the context of what we read here. Um, then we can ask the question, why is Peter even talking to these suffering believers about blessings, about loving life, and about seeing good days? In some ways, it actually almost comes across as a slap in the face. Because like I mentioned before, we all, these believers, they were under oppression. They were suffering. They were being marginalized. They were being persecuted for being Christians, for following Christ. That was the experience that they were in. And it, and it almost seems like a slap in the face that, that Peter brings this up and says that for he that will love life and see good days. And, and I can almost imagine them saying like, where is this? You know, you're talking about this blessed, being blessed by God. Why are we not seeing that in our lives? 
Now, Peter is exhorting them here um, to be of one mind, to have compassion, to love his brethren, to be pitiful, to be courteous, not render evil for evil, but rather, rather blessing for blessing. All these things that they are to pursue as, as God's new covenant people, they're to do these things. And he says, do all these things that you may inherit a blessing. And I, I can imagine them thinking, well, okay, if we're doing these things, and I, I, we have good reason to believe that many of them were, if they were true believers, they were they were pursuing righteousness, they were living holy lives, and they're saying, where is the blessing? You know, what what do these things have to do with being blessed? Because in our lives, it's just not matching up. And the more, it seems like the more that we strive for holiness, the more we try to live godly lives, the more we seek after righteousness, the more oppression we find ourselves in. Where's the blessing? And I think perhaps this is even more difficult for those Jewish believers who would have had in their mind an understanding of um, what it means to be God's chosen people. Looking back in the Old Testament, understanding that the, the children of Israel, God's people, were his His chosen people, his covenant people, his blessed people. And we see that it's so clear in scripture. We see countless times where God says that if you are my people, that if you, if you seek after me, if you follow in my ways, then my blessing will be upon you. That was God's promise to his covenant people in the Old Testament. Follow after me, seek righteousness, and you will inherit a blessing, the, the blessing of the promised land, the blessing of prosperity. And God was faithful to that promise. We see in the Old Testament how when they pursued after God, when they sought the Lord, when they were obedient to him, when they did not worship idols, when they turned away from evil and did that which is good, God poured out his blessing upon them. It was a very much a physical blessing that they received as a result of their faithfulness to the Lord. But it was a physical blessing. And when they turned away from God... God removed that blessing from them. And as they would be considering it in this context, in their understanding of what it means to be God by to be blessed by God, I'm sure that for them it was difficult because something didn't match up. And in fact, when we look at Jesus' life, he came and there was many expectations on what the Messiah would bring. He would come, he would free them from the bondage of the, um, and the slavery that they were uh, under through Roman rule. He would restore prosperity to the land of Israel. He would give them back what they were missing. But when Christ came, he didn't measure up to their expectations. He didn't bring that blessing that they thought the Messiah was going to bring. Christ did bring a blessing. He brought the greatest blessing that we can imagine, but it was not what they were expecting. And for that reason, they rejected Jesus. So when Peter addresses these new covenant believers, he's exhorting them to live righteously, not so much for the physical blessing, but for that spiritual blessing, the eternal blessing, the future hope of glory. As he says in chapter 1, verse 4, he, he says, to an inheritance that is incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fadeth not away, and that is reserved in heaven for you. There's a contrast between God's Old Testament blessing on his children and his New Testament blessing. 
Those who pursue righteousness, those who live godly, godly lives, receive a blessing from the Lord, but not in the same way as they once did. The blessing is not for the here and now. It is not simply physical. It is not simply a material blessing. It's not simply freedom from suffering and no ills in your life and everything just goes well. But Jesus came. He didn't offer that. He didn't offer that blessing. In fact, he gave to them promises of difficulty. He gave them the promises that they will, they will suffer for being followers of Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus and to live holy lives would bring difficulty upon them. And for these believers here in Asia Minor, it brought them to a place of poverty, at least in terms of the world standards. It brought them to a place of difficulty. And Jesus proved that in his life, and he promised that in what he taught. And I think it really starts to impact us when we consider our own lives and consider that we, as believers, can oftentimes get caught in between this new covenant blessing and the old covenant blessing. Where we sometimes think that we know that the blessing, the true blessing, is the blessing that is to come, that eternal blessing that we will inherit. But we 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 put more emphasis, maybe we maybe put too much emphasis on the blessings that we receive here on this earth. And God's word is 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 a correction for us. It is a a recalibration. It's, it's what what Peter needed to do for these believers to recalibrate them to understand that the that the blessing that they are receiving for being faithful to God for pursuing righteousness will not necessarily bring to them an earthly blessing, but a spiritual blessing. And we need that same recalibration in our lives. And again, you know, even I consider, you know, the, the message that I give to my own children, you know, I'm, I'm raising them in a way that I want them to understand that doing right, doing good, will bring blessing in their lives. That's a good thing that I, I want to teach my children. And there is earthly blessings that come from following God's ways. But I also don't want to give them the idea that doing right will mean that things will always work out well. Because that's not the promise that we have as new God, as God's new covenant people. That's not the promise that we can claim. It will, again, it will bring blessing in our lives, but we cannot say that everything will go perfect here in this life, or everything will go really well in this life. Peter says, pursue all of these things that ye may inherit a blessing. The inherit a blessing is the inheritance. It's a blessing to come. An inheritance is, is not necessarily something you get now. It's something that comes in the future. And Peter is encouraging these believers and us to live with that knowledge of this spiritual blessing to come. And he quotes here um, Psalm 34, I, I mentioned before. And it's interesting that Peter actually changes the, the quotation slightly. If you do, if you turn back to Psalm 34, where he, he takes these words from, in the original, it says that he that desireth life and loveth many days. And it's interesting that he, he, he changes it to say that he that will love life and see good days. Not many days, but good days. And I think he, he makes that slight adjustment, sort of bringing it into this new covenant, because, again, he understands that for many of these believers, their lives may actually be cut short for being faithful to God. It was true in the life of Jesus. He was rejected, and he suffered, and he was killed. It was true in the life of, I think, 
all of the disciples, except for John, who were martyred for their faith, whose lives were cut short because of their faithfulness to Christ. So he, he, he changes it slightly. Rather than saying many days, he says good days. And it just, again, reinforces this fact that the blessing of God is not, is not a blessing here upon this earth only, but a blessing that we inherit, a blessing that is to come, that's eternal, that's incorruptible, and that does not fade away. And that is how we can love life. And that is how we can see good days. Because the reality is that what would you rather have? Would you rather have blessing here in this life only for the 60, 80 years that you might live here on this earth? Or would you rather have a blessing that is a a future blessing, an eternal blessing that lasts forever? A blessing that he says here in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Is that not the greatest blessing that we could receive? That that the eyes of the Lord are over us, and that the, the ears of the Lord are open to our prayers? Clearly for David it was. You know, that's, that's what he defines as the, the, what it means to be blessed by the Lord is to have this communion and this right standing with God. And how much more is that for us who are in Christ? In the new covenant, we have a right standing with God through Jesus Christ. The full blessing because of Christ. Because Christ is interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. We are, we are perfect and we are justified before God the Father, on the merit of Jesus Christ. We are the recipients of that blessing. That is what the true blessing is. And finally, how can we experience this blessing? And I would say this, if you want to receive the blessing of the Lord, you must do what this verse says, which is, Your life must be marked by the attributes of a true child of God, and you must be pursuing those things. And this can only happen if you are born again. And this is, I guess, this is my call to those who are not born again, that being blessed by the Lord, having that true spiritual blessing, can only be attained if you are born again. It's not about pursuing righteousness just for the sake of morality. It's not just about being good, and if you're good, then God's going to pour out his favor upon you. That really is the mentality that the children of Israel were caught up in the law. They thought that, you know, if we just fulfill the law, and you see that with the, the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, how they were so consumed about keeping every, you know, jot and tittle of the law, and that they were under the assumption that God's favor was upon them because they were following every prescribed detail of the law. They did not receive the blessing of God. That did not give any um, blessing in their lives, even though they were pursuing righteousness in their own eyes. You must be born again. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You must be born again. You must have a new nature in order to pursue after this, this, this 
righteousness that clothes those who are the children of God. It's not just about doing things to gain the favor of God so that he will bless you and give you what you really want. But when Peter says to pursue these things, he's not giving them a list of rules. He's not setting a standard for them to meet so that they can reach God's blessing, but rather he's exhorting them to live up to the calling that they were called to. Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the calling wherewith ye are called. It's about living as the true children of God, and it's about adorning yourselves with the character that marks the life of a true Christian. And I almost think about it this way, as we sort of look through each of these things that he lists here, it's almost as if each of these things that Peter lists, and, and he goes through them here, he says, you know, having compassion, loving as brethren, being pitiful, being courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, um, blessing others, you know, keeping your tongue from evil, speaking no guile, all of these things that he says, it's, it's almost like each of them are a, a sort of pearl on the necklace of grace that the children of God wear. And he, he's really calling them to be a kind of people that pursue righteousness and show the marks of grace. He says, first, to be of one mind, to have unity of mind, to be like-minded one with another, to have this unity that will be in place between those who are truly God's children. And I think of Romans fifteen five, where he says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant to you to be like-minded one towards another, according to Jesus Christ. So in Christ, we are bound together in that like-mindedness, that unity of mind. Then he says, having compassion one of another. Compassion, another word for that is, is sympathy. You know, having sympathy one on another, bearing one another's burdens, recognizing the needs of our brothers and sisters, and meeting those needs, weeping with those that weep, mourning with those that mourn, bearing one another's burdens. He says to love his brethren, that's that true brotherly love, that unfeigned love of the brethren that he talks about back in chapter 1, verse 22. To love one another with a pure heart fervently as brothers and sisters who have been redeemed with the same blood of Jesus Christ. To be courteous, he says, that's humble-minded, selflessness, that, that, that feels the needs of others, that regards our brothers and sisters better than ourselves, as it says in Philippians 2. And these are all attitudes that mark the children of God. And the children of God are those who will be growing in these things and pursuing these things in their life. And they can't just remain as attitudes. They can't just remain as sort of a facade in our lives. But they need to translate into action within our lives. Otherwise, they just create self-righteousness. And again, like that's, that's really what happened with the Pharisees. They sort of internalized everything. And it didn't play out in the way they truly lived their lives. He says, Render, not, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. He's talking about not taking revenge. Again, we think of the words in, in Matthew 5, 44, the words of Jesus, where he says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
This is a defining mark of a child of God. This is what it means to be a child of God. And then again, in verse 10 and 11, he says, Refrain your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking guile or deceit or lies. Let him eschew or turn away from evil and pursue good. Let him seek peace and ensue it, pursue after it. And notice that all of these things, um, all of these graces that God works in, in the lives of his children are not things that um, stay in, in a vacuum, as it were. It's, it's never void. It's not about refraining your tongue. It's not about just turning away from evil. But it's about doing good. It's about seeking peace and pursuing it until you have it. Striving, pursuing after righteousness. These are the pearls on the necklace of grace and the marks of the lives of God's true children. And God's favor and blessing resides on those who are his true true children, who pursue after these things. So I would encourage all of you as we as we wrap up this evening that we would persevere in these things, to not give up in pursuing these things. And and we see how quickly those within the Old Testament, those children of God's covenant, did not persevere in these things. They did not hold on to that blessing. It seems like like they tried and they did well, but then they would fall and God God would bless them and then he would remove his blessing. They tried and they failed. They tried and they failed. And each time God's blessing was removed when they failed. But God said that there is a day coming, in Ezekiel 36, he says, there's a day coming when I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways, in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is the hope that we have as as God's new covenant people. Because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can turn away from sin. We can pursue righteousness. We can receive the greatest blessing that God has to give, that greatest joy, the true good life that he is talking about. And I'll just close with these words, and I quote, The Christian faith is not merely about man's happiness, although God gives more joy than you can imagine. Christianity addresses how sinful men, women, and children can be reconciled to their creator and live happy lives for his glory. God has placed good gifts to summon you to see God's ultimate gift, his son, Jesus Christ. He came to save a people he didn't have to save, to live a life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, And to rise, summoning all everywhere to turn away from their sin, to pursue righteousness, and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. When difficulties come in our lives, when trials come, whatever they may be, I would encourage all of you to put your hope in the gospel. That you may inherit that eternal blessing. Don't look at the things of this life. Don't look at your circumstances around and believe that God's blessing is removed because things are not going well. God's blessing is upon his true children, those who pursue after righteousness. And that you may inherit a blessing. That is what the true life truly is. And may God encourage us through these words. Amen.